I want you to get your Bible, look at Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. We're going to talk about the miracle at Nain. Luke 7, verse 11. I know what some of you folks are thinking. Seven come 11. You shouldn't be thinking like that. Some of you didn't laugh because you don't know what that means. Some of you kind of chuckle because you're like, that pastor of ours, he is so messed up. Luke 7 come 11 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he came near the entrance to the city, he met a funeral procession. The dead man was a widow's only child. A large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt sorry for her, and he said to her, don't cry. In my opinion, this is probably one of the saddest stories in the Bible. I read this story until I read the end of it. Every time I read the beginning of it, I think to myself, what what a sad situation this poor little mama was in. And so I am going to use the next few moments as we build a foundation for where we're going with this to kind of speculate. I have to speculate a little bit. A lot of information is given to me, but since I wasn't there, I wasn't an eyewitness to this, but from the information that's given to me, I think I can speculate fairly accurately on several things. The reason why this is one of the saddest stories I believe in the Bible is number one, because this poor lady is on her way to bury a child after she not probably too long ago buried her husband. The scripture says she's a widow. She lives in a culture. She lives in a time that as a widow, she will probably starve to death without a husband or without someone to provide for her. It's a cruel, it's just a cruel um, way of life for those people in that day that a lady in her position without someone to provide for her is facing severe destitution. So this this is a sad situation. I call it a hope none situation instead of hopeless. Hopeless means there's less hope. Hope none means there's none. And this is a situation for this lady. When I read the story, I say to myself, she is in a hope none situation. She uh, has lost her husband. Now she's lost her only child. I don't know how long ago the dad passed away, but it looks to me like she must be depending on this son very strongly. The scripture refers to him as a man, but Jesus in a couple of verses is going to call him young man. That suggests to me that this is a young man who was still living in the home. I don't hear of a wife. I don't hear of his family. So it sounds to me like this is probably a a teenage son who is living with his mom. She is depending on him in every way. And now he, since the passing of his father, has been the provider of the home. Now you say, well, that there, we, we at least see that there are a lot of people that are concerned because it says that there were a lot of people at the funeral procession. And we understand that, that it's a large crowd. But even with their best intentions, they're all going to go home tonight. And within a couple of weeks, they're going to forget and move on with their lives. And she's going to be all alone. 
That's just the way that it works. Any of you that have ever experienced uh, the death of a close a close loved one, you understand the grief that goes with that. The the waves of grief, they they the sorrow just comes back over and over. Sometimes the pain of that seems that it's unbearable. Some yet somehow you muster the strength to keep on going. And God's the one that helps us with that. But but I'm just trying to paint a picture in this little in this little mama's situation in her in her particular case. It's more than just the grief of having lost a loved one. If you put all this together, not too long ago she lost her husband. Now she's lost her only child, and she lost her son, which is the same person, and she has lost every capability that she had of being able to provide for herself. So she has gone from grief upon grief into destitution and perhaps even starvation is what she's facing now at this point. She knows that on this day, it's only a matter of time for her. And if the truth were known, she probably wishes that she was dead too on this day. That is how bad her situation is. Some of you say, well, I can never imagine a situation where I wish that I was dead too. I can remember my dad making a statement years ago. He said, son, there are a lot of things in life that are worse than death. And I used to think to myself when I was young and strong, and, and I'd think, well, how in the world could that be? But I'll tell you, the longer that you live life, the more that you go through, the more tragedy that you suffer, the more grief that you experience, that when you see people that you love who are suffering, it will cause you to think to yourself, if I were ever that person, I wouldn't want to still be here. I don't want to be a burden on them. And so there are certain things in life that are worse than dying. And for this little lady right here, she's having one of those days. But it's not just a day for her because she's looking at her future. And her future has no possible, feasible, logical way in which it ever looks better. That's hope none. She lived in a place called Nain. Again, the speculation about that was that at the time she lived there, it was a fairly large city. The fact that it suggests that there are gates that they are going out of also suggests that there must be walls that surround the city. Any city that is strong enough to have walls and a gate was a city that was fairly large and it was worth protecting. So uh, here we are uh, in this city called Nain, where the remains, to my knowledge, have not been discovered. But there is still a town in northern Israel today called Nain. It's spelled either N-A-I-N or N-E-I-N, but the city does remain. And there are some people still living there, though not nearly as many as there were probably at the time of this story. But there are still some people that are living there. And if you do a little bit of research, you have to go a little bit to find it. But you would find that the definition of the word name is this. It's very interesting. The name means green pastures, means lovely Beautiful and pleasantness. Isn't that ironic? This is where she lives. Can you just imagine with me for a minute her life a few years ago, living in the city of green pastures that was lovely and beautiful and pleasant with her husband and her young son 
and how she loved living in Nain and what a good life it was to be surrounded by those walls and have that gate of protection. How many of you have lived long enough to know that when it comes to life and grief and sorrow and pain and desperation, that there are no walls or gates that can be constructed strong enough to keep them at bay. Doesn't matter how high the walls are or how strongly fortified the city might be or even the walls you try to build for your own life that aren't physical. We all do it. We buy insurance. We try to stay healthy. We take vitamins. We walk. We work out. We do everything to build walls around ourselves so that these things won't come to us. But life just happens and it finds its way through the creeks and the cracks of the walls and the gates, and it gets to you. You're like, Pastor, I'm not so sure I want to hear the rest of this. It's not looking up. I thought we were going to have fun. Now, within just a probable short period of time for this lady at Nain, death has come for everybody in her house but her. And suddenly, Nain is the worst place on the planet to live. The place that used to be the most pleasant, the place that used to be the most beautiful, is now the worst place in the world. Have you ever wondered how that could be? How that, a, how that circumstances in your life could take your life from being so awesome to so bad in such a short period of time, and you really didn't go anywhere? How did this happen? From her viewpoint, which is walking behind a burial cart, this is the absolute worst future she can see. In her mind, she's thinking today is horrific, but tomorrow will be worse. And the day after that, worse again. I want you to listen to the way I say this. Nothing could have possibly changed her viewpoint that day. Notice my choice of wording, possibly. And then a stranger showed up. Out of nowhere. Yesterday, this, this stranger was 21 miles from here. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because... The Bible says that on the day before, he was healing the, the Roman centurion's servant in a place 21 miles from here. And yet, he's here today. And he walks over to the cart. He puts his hand on it. And he stops the whole proceeding. What audacity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you're one of the men of the town, one of the men of the city who are friends with 
this lady and her husband and son. Perhaps you're one of the guys who are carrying because it's customary there that that cart is either being pushed or carried on the shoulders of at least four men. Maybe you're one of those men and you see this guy who we don't know who he is. He just got to town and here we are, all hundreds of us, walking down a street, heading out of the gate to go bury the boy outside the city because we don't bury him inside the city, which is yet another thing mama's having to deal with. I gotta go outside and leave my baby out there and this is all in her mind and up walks this guy out of nowhere, lays his hand on the cart and stops the whole thing. Who are you? You're gonna add disrespect on top of grief? Who are you to stop this procession? And he has the audacity to say to her, you ready for this? Don't cry. That's all she's got left. She has nothing left but tears and grief and sorrow. And he says, don't cry. How could she not cry? I want you to get your pen and your paper and get ready to write this down. Jesus did three things that day. Three things that he's still doing today. You remember what year we're living in? Remember from two weeks ago? We're living in the year of the favor of our God. We are living in the dispensation of grace. You remember we've been talking about it for two weeks now. Jesus did something that day that started Remember when we talked about how the day he picked up the, the scroll and he unrolled it and he said, I have come to do the following things, you remember? And he said, this day, you, you, this day you've seen these things fulfilled and they were all angry. Since that point, Jesus has been walking around doing things like he's about to do. In this dispensation of grace, in this year of the favor of our God... Here comes Jesus. Write this down. The first thing that he did is found in verse 14. Jesus approached the dead. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't worried about how it looked. I've been to a lot of funerals, folks. I I hate to say it. I have probably preached over 200 funerals. And I've been to hundreds more. Hate funerals. I'm thankful that people go to heaven. I'm glad I celebrate with them, but I'm just telling you straight up. You want me to preach your funeral? I'm going to do it if you ask me to, but I hate it. I hate coming to the hospital and seeing you too. You know why? Because I hate it when you're sick. It hurts me to see you sick. I hate it when you're suffering. I hate it when you're going through tragedy. And I hate it when I have to preach your funeral even though I'm happy for you and I'm smiling knowing that you've gone where where I'm going to go. But I got to face all of your family. So far, more than 200 times. I cannot imagine ever showing up to a funeral where I wasn't the preacher and saying, hey, let's hold it up. Let's hold it up. I got something I want to say. And you would be like, and you're who? Who do you think you are? We didn't even know you were coming. You weren't even invited. 
you were 21 miles away from here yesterday. We don't even know who you are. And Jesus walks up, lays his hand on a cart, shuts the whole thing down. He's not intimidated. He's not worried. He's not afraid. He's not confused. He's not in doubt. He's just standing there full of confidence and love and exuding a smile. And just just the, the peace and love and joy is exuding from this guy. And everybody's looking at him like, what in this world are you doing? This was his moment. It's what he came to earth to do. It was fulfilling the scripture that we explained last week. It said last week, he said, I've come to set the captive free and what? Bind up the brokenhearted. Where logic fails, where, where human compassion has gone to the end of its rope, where desperation and pain seem to dominate, Jesus shows up. Somebody say amen. Custom and culture of the day suggests that this young man laying on this cart, he's not just laying on a cart like what we see today in caskets and coffins where that we put a suit on them and we lay them in there and, and they're just laying peaceful with their hands on them. This poor guy, the way they did it back then, his feet are bound, his body is wrapped in swaddling cloth, there is a veil laying across his face. He's dead. He's been dead long enough for them to do all this. For those that would say, well, he wasn't really dead. Maybe they just thought he was dead. They just put him on, you know, he wasn't, they, he didn't, he acted like he was dead. Well, guys, somebody had to go get the cart. Somebody had to pick the pallbearers. Somebody had to spread the word for a funeral. Somebody had to prepare the body. Somebody had to wrap the feet, put the cloth put the veil, put him in the cart, carry him. If he's, dead, if he's not dead, he's been faking this for a long time. How many hours can you hold your breath? He's dead. He's real dead. How dead is he? He's as dead as you can get dead, dead. He's as dead as anybody you've ever seen dead. He's as dead as somebody's been dead 50 years dead. He's that dead. But he's not so dead that he's unable to hear the voice of God when it speaks to him in person. <laughs> that'll get your soul right there how dead does your only child seem to be how desperate has the situation become how hopeless are things in your life right now Jesus is about to get involved in your problem he can walk up at any moment and lay his hand on that cart and say it's time to stop this we're stopping this procession. This thing's gone far enough. We're not going to let this go all the way out to the grave. Where you've given up, where you've lost all hope, he's just now showing up. Do you remember the times that Jesus raised people from the dead? I want you to notice this. One time he raised them from the dead where that the person had just died. And Jesus said, well, send the word. 
Then Jesus walks in, speaks to the little girl, raises her. Remember that? Then there's this occasion where the person's been dead a lot longer, long enough for them to be prepared for the burial. But I want you to notice another one. There's another time where Jesus didn't show up until the man had been in the grave for three days. Dead can't get so dead that God can't raise it back to life. Your problem will never be so desperate that it's beyond God's ability to speak new life to it. Jesus approached the coffin. Number two, Jesus took possession of the dead. Verse 14. At least four men, customarily, at least, are carrying this casket. And they stop. I'm guessing they don't know him. But there's something about him that causes an instant respect and a submission. And Jesus takes control of a, of a whole funeral possession. He's in charge now. Somebody may have wrapped the boy. Somebody may have carried him. Somebody may even be willing to bury him. But Jesus is in charge right now. And it's out of everybody else's control. Even the mama must succumb to the power of Jesus. He was more powerful than her grief. Her desperation, her pain, her sorrow. He just takes over, just like he's about to do in your life. And thirdly, verse 14, it said, Jesus spoke life to the dead. He said, young man, I'm telling you to come back to life. And you're like, all right, well, what happened? Next verse, 15. The dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I read that and I say, what? I mean, every time I can read that, when I get to that verse, I'm like, what? Devil, who do you think you are? Death, who do you think you are? Desperate situation, who do you think you are? You are rendered powerless when Jesus speaks. You know what I find interesting there? Jesus had to be specific. Young man, I'm telling you to come back to life. If he hadn't have been specific to that young man, everything and everybody that had ever died before might have got back up right then. You need to understand something. If Jesus can raise himself from the dead after three days... There's nothing that he cannot make life to live again. He's able to speak life over you. Every, every, every problem, every circumstance, no matter how dead or how desperate or how past beyond time it may seem, I'm telling you, Jesus has the ability to walk up 
take charge and speak life. And now all of a sudden, in just a moment's time, Nain, which just a minute ago was the worst place in the world to be, suddenly is the place you knew it years ago. All of a sudden, you're looking around and realizing this is a pleasant place. There's a beautiful thing going on here. This is lovely. This is a place of green pasture. This is a good place to be. This is a good place to live. And the widow of Nain is smiling, living, rejoicing again. The miracle at Nain whenever Jesus comes to Nain it becomes a beautiful place again. For a couple of weeks, I've been wanting to share this with you. Man, there's another message in there. I didn't even preach the one about how his feet were bound, how he was wrapped in cloth and had the veil over his face. He couldn't move. He was bound up and he was blind. We didn't even go there. Can you imagine what it was like whenever he got loose? Can I just real quickly share something with you? This thought hit me while I go in my office. I thought back to my days when I was a kid in school. I wouldn't say I was a great student. Teachers said I was smart. She said I could have made any grades I wanted to make. But, I, you know, I've got to tell you the truth, folks. I, I was really good at two subjects in school. I mean really good. Lunch and recess. I was great at both of those. I did okay in all the other things too, except algebra. I never could pass algebra. My, I am one of those history English guys. I'm not an I'm not a math science guy. So um, the teachers would say to me, "Sit still and listen," which might as well have been, "I am putting you in the cage and locking a door." Anybody ever been bound? I'm not talking about those of you that spent time in prison or jail. And understand, that's a terrible thing. I remember the feeling of riding along with the police officer in the back seat when I wasn't doing the ride along. I remember how that felt. Anytime that you're put in a spot. It doesn't have to be so much physical, but it could just be mental. Anytime you're put in a spot to where you feel like I am bound up and I can't see where I want to go. I can't move. I can't get free. It just makes you want to get free. So, I would sit in the classes and I would, I would, you know, I would learn and I would, I did okay. And I don't want you to think I was, I didn't wear the dunce cap every day. I did wear it, but not every day. I still try to explain that to Sophie. She's like, Poppy, you wore a dunce cap? I said, well, not every day, but yeah, sometime. And the teacher would say, Darren, you come up here and sit right by me. I used to get to sit right by the teacher. 
We thought it was because I was her favorite. You come and sit in the desk right by my desk. I'm like, okay. Put me closer to the board. When they put the circle up, I didn't have as far to walk to go put my nose in the circle. I would listen intently for the bell that said I was free. It rang at recess time and it rang at lunchtime. And when I got older, it only rang at lunchtime. I can even remember as an older kid that when the lunch bell would ring, it wasn't that the lunch was good, it was a cafeteria lunch. But there was something about getting free. And the bell would ring and I'd kick off the desk and you'd see some of the prim and proper kids that had a little bit more intelligence. They'd kind of roll their eyes. They'd pick up their books and slow, because they knew there was, nowhere to, there was really nowhere to be going. But for me, it was just the thought of, I am free. And I'd bust through the door and I would just, I would run as hard as I could run. I'm just running. And I would look, and as I was running, I would see other people that were just like me. And all of a sudden, we'd start shouting to one another, yelling at one another, I'll beat you to the cafeteria. And the race was on, and we're yelling, and we're screaming, and we're running. You're like, you were that kid. I was that kid. (laughs) Till I got to college, I was that kid. I'm just running as hard as I could go and I'm thinking to myself, we're free for the next 45 minutes or the next hour. We're going to scarf down this lunch. We're going to play basketball. We're going we're gonna to be, we're free. See, sometimes when you come to church, you see somebody who gets free like that. You don't know what to do with it. I praise the Lord when you're free. Because when you're free, you're the person who smiles and you love to see somebody else get free. You know, you smile and you kind of pick up your books and you walk to the cafeteria. But you, do, you kind of bear with the one that's getting loose. Sometimes a word like this, the word of God is alive and it sets people free. And sometimes they can't help when they finally get the feet unbound and they somebody is able to get the cloth off and tear away the veil, they just go. That's what the freedom that God has provided through Jesus does in the life of a person who's bound up. For some of you, you're like, I remember that. I don't get too fired up anymore. I don't run anymore. I don't yell and scream and race. I'm content to watch other people now. And it's okay as long as there's a smile on your face and you're enjoying the fact that they're getting free. But don't ever get angry at somebody else for getting free. Because one day you needed that. And somebody needs it today. For somebody, Jesus has come to the city of Nain. For somebody, and I feel like it's, you know, I felt this way this morning. It's not just in this building, but I'm talking to those people that are with us. There are people that are with us all over the place. I'm talking to them as well. There are people that that are in a situation where they just feel bound. Desperate to the point of death. And Jesus has come to Nain to stop the possession to take charge of the situation to speak life to what somebody thought was just death 
Somebody is about to live again. Somebody's about to see pleasant again, life again, beauty again, lovely again, green pastures again. In this song, or however long it takes, this one or the next five, whatever it takes in this time that is approaching us between now and the next time the band comes out on the stage I want somebody to take advantage of the word of God and get free the bell is ringing and it's time for lunch come to the altar and get free take this word and let it set you free Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's freedom. Some of you need to get free this morning. When they sing this song, I want you to come forward. You say, but I'm one of those that wants to get free, but I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to cause the service to go long. I don't want people to stub their nose and look at me bad. Do you care what people think or do you want to get free? 90% of the people in this room are going to be smiling with you when you come to the altar and they're going to be rejoicing with you when you get free. It's just a few of them that's worried about lunch and they were leaving anyway. This is why we're here. Jesus said, this is why I came. This is what I'm here to do. Set to captive free. Bind up the broken heart. Speak liberty to those who need it. Come on. If it's your word today, come on. Don't wait. Just come on. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on right now. What are you doing? You're just sitting there. You afraid? You're scared? I didn't call you a sinner. All I said was, are you ready to get free? Lead us in the song, ladies, and let's have this time of prayer. I'm going to pray for you down here when you get here.